Welcome, listeners, to Season 6, Episode 9 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we're watching Relic from 2020, and we are also very sorry that we were late. Thank you for waiting for us as we sorted out all our tech issues and health things and all the other stuff. But before we get into the episode, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be easy to remember. This episode will contain discussion on dementia and mental health issues. If these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. So I call this drink, well, actually, you called this drink. I didn't make it, but I did name it. (laughs) Yeah, my name is Edna. Uh, which is on one of the sticky notes in the movie. So I, as the description implied, I made this very simple. Um, we've had uh, creme de violette, as en français would say it, from Mad Lab for a while. And I don't know what do <laughs> with creme de violette. It's a new thing that I've never used before. So mm-hmm. I was looking up stuff on what to do with it. and. Honestly, at the end of the day, I was like, I want to make a drink that sort of just tastes like it, if that makes sense. I yeah. Didn't wanna, I didn't want to cover it up too much. Especially because um, this is brand new. Yes, this is brand new. Um, so it is uh, a bit of the Mad Labs creme de violette, um, about a half ounce uh, in a champagne glass, and then just fill the rest of champagne. We do that with like other creme does uh and it kind of just elevates the champagne with the flavor of whatever creme de you're including in it mm-hmm. um, creme de it's a new word yeah the creme does <laughs> you know i'm sure there's i'm sure people would call it a liqueur or something else but i called it a creme de um, it's also very nice i really like drinks that have like a flowery flavor if anything i'm well, that's not true. I was about to say, if anything, I'm a sour or a flowery type person, but I also like a good sweet drink every now and then. But this, the champagne is very clear and crisp and the violet just elevates it all to that new level. You can really feel it when you're taking your first sip. You smell it when the bubbles are popping in your nose. I'm really appreciating it. Again, uh, does it feel like a mold is growing inside you now? <laughs> no, it's very refreshing. But oh, good. I mean, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I really like it too. I'm glad that I decided to not go too fancy with it because mm. now I know what creme de violette tastes like, and honestly, now I know kind of. I now I have more of an idea of like what I could do with it. So I could mm-hmm. do like a gimlet with some creme de violette, <gasps> or yes, like a nice summer. Uh, what are the what's that called where you like fill a jug full of liquor and wine and stuff um, for summer like a ice sangria? Like a sangria? Okay, yeah. yeah, you could put some some of this in sangria. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, fruity, especially a white one, not a red one. I think. Yes, I definitely know the difference between sangrias. It's definitely <laughs> a drink that I know how to make. It's basically wine. Bit of fruit juice, brandy, and slices of actual fruit. And you can use, like I implied, either white wine or red wine. And I think if you replace the brandy with a creme de violet, that would be nice. I don't know why, but in my mind, I was like, yeah, it's it's wine, obviously. That's the big one. Yeah. And I don't know, probably like Kool-Aid or something. 
Or well, like there's some uh, juice in it, but not you know, really. <laughs> it probably put some sort of like, you know, like a like a freezy, right? You take those freezies that you cut in half and then you just squeeze the ice into them. Now, this is a very Canadian episode. <laughs> <laughs> but before we dive too wholeheartedly into Canadian bullshit, we have to thank all of our patrons. Thank you for sticking with us, especially in a week where we are a week delayed. Nicholas G, Jacob M, Diana S, Ollie A, Aiden T, Jackie V, Roxanne B, Liz Represent Podcast, Colleen D, and Aubrey L. Thank you all so much. You can make a song with your names, the amount of times <laughs> that I say them. Sometimes I try to switch up who, which order is what, but I mean, I got to just make it cooler now. Yeah, we need one of those listeners that will take things we say and make remixes of them. Oh, God. <laughs> this week, we watched Relic, which premiered on July 10th, 2020. It's written by Natalie Erica James and Christian White and directed by Natalie Erica James as well. It stars Robin Nevin as candle-making grandmother Edna, Emily Mortimer as stressed mother Kay, and Bella Heathcote as the curious daughter Sam. Now, this is a bit longer than normal synopsis, and I think I'm actually going to continue with this pattern because I'm realizing more and more that our listeners, not everyone actually watches the film because we have quite a few people who are a little bit too scared to watch the horror movies, but like to experience them here. Mm. So we're going to go a little bit deeper into our synopsises so that you can really experience them in a safe space. Nice. Uh, so this was written by IFC Midnight on IMDb. Thank you, IFC. When Edna, the elderly and widowed matriarch of the family, goes missing, her daughter Kay and granddaughter Sam travel to their remote family home to find her. They discover the house locked from the inside and a strange black mold-like substance on an upstairs wall. Much of the furniture has been adorned with post-it notes of reminders for Edna, including turn off the tap, my name is Edna, and don't follow it. Sam and Kay grow increasingly disturbed by a loud creaking from inside the walls and the appearance of more black mold throughout the house. Kay experiences nightmares of a withered, rotting corpse in an old shack in the woodlands nearby. The next morning, Kay finds Edna has returned, barefoot and muddied, but unaware of her own disappearance. Following a visit from a doctor, Edna is found to be mostly of sound mind and physically stable, with the exception of a large black bruise on her chest, which resembles the mold. Kay tells Sam that she plans to move Edna into a retirement home, given her self-neglect, much to the contempt of Sam. That night, Edna is convinced there is something hiding in the room and urges Kay to check under the bed. She sees something breathing, but is distracted before she can investigate further. Sam discovers a hidden passageway to another part of the home. She enters but becomes lost as the corridor begins to loop. Disoriented and trapped, she resorts to screaming and banging on the walls. Edna's condition seems to have worsened again. As she's bathing after peeing herself, she scratches what was once her bruise. It is now rotting black flesh. The bathwater overflows in the washroom and reacts with an electric heater, causing the house's power to go out. Meanwhile, Sam is still trapped, traveling deeper into the corridors. The ceiling slope lower, forcing her to crawl. She eventually escapes by knocking holes through the molding walls. Kay finds Edna, much to her horror, picking at her rotting face with a knife. 
Hay and Sam flee into the passageway, hearing the now crazed Edna approaching. She's disfigured and physically contorted, crawling towards them, attempting to pin down Sam before being beaten down by her daughter Kay. Wheezing, the decaying Edna gestures towards a post-it note on the floor labeled, I am loved, and smiles. Kay realizes that the walls of the house are no longer rotting and returns to her corpse-like mother to carry her to bed. She helps Edna peel away the last remnants of her hair and flesh to reveal her final form, a withered black corpse like the one featured in her nightmares earlier. Kay and Sam then lay on the bed with Edna until she peacefully falls asleep and presumably dies. The film ends with Sam noticing a small black bruise on the nape of her mother's neck, resembling that of Edna's initial bruise, suggesting that in time, Kay will suffer a similar fate to her mother. And that's it. Nice. Yeah. Now, just to give you an extra layer of what the movie was like, hit me with that trailer audio. When was the last time you spoke to her? It's been a few weeks. Gran? Mom? She called me a few weeks ago. I think she was scared. She thought someone was coming into the house. She can't live on her own anymore. She has to be watched. Everything all right, Gran? I thought this was where it got in. Who? Whoever was coming into the house. That was pretty good. Yeah. I think for once, it's one of those trailers that shows a lot without giving away the mystery. Yeah. So you kind of go in expecting something else, maybe? A little bit? Mm Mm-hmm. It also, that trailer reminded me of the scene where the mom is like sitting on the bed and she says that there's it's under the bed. And I remember the first time we watched this movie that that scene genuinely terrified me because it's that Mm. like slowly looking under and we know there's something under there, but she doesn't know yet. That also just makes me think of something. This is like an anecdote of our real life where I was sleeping. This was back when we were living in the shop. um, And I went to bed earlier than Kelly did and I had a dream. I didn't realize it was a dream at the time. And I woke up and I was like, Kelly, there's something under the fifth wheel, which is like the car that was our bathroom. And you were so nice. You were like, oh, okay, I'll check for you. And you like went (laughs) looking and I was like, there's something there. Uh, And there wasn't. I was just dreaming that there was like a squirrel or something under our fifth (laughs) wheel. And I got scared about it. But you were so nice about it. You didn't once be like there's nothing there Shar. you you actively looked for me which i always think because about. if there is something there i need to know so i can leave um <laughs> and it would it wouldn't be like okay we need to get out of here you would just see me stand up and walk out of the room uh and that would be your indicator that there was in fact something there this is true i know that you will leave me if there is ever a ghosty or any other supernatural thing that yeah. comes to kill us <laughs> for sure me and buddy <laughs> i have to fend for our son alone <laughs> yeah exactly um also watching that trailer again so uh, when we watched this movie the first time i knew that i recognized emily mortimer from something and my mind just was not making the connection and then Watched it again. Still didn't know. Uh, I used to watch a show called The Newsroom, and she's 
one of the main characters in that. And okay. I guess it had been, it was another life ago, so I didn't remember. And I yep. guess she just, when she showed up, I was like, oh, I recognize her. And then could not make that connection in my mind. So I was just, I was looking that up while we were talking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually want to jump in with my thoughts. Ooh, all right. Right away. Go Switching for things it. up. Whoa. This is definitely a slow burn movie, especially having seen it once. It was very effective. Watching it again, you kind of get more of the details and the the length of the film, I felt, is it's, it's what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of perfect for the story that they're trying to tell. And it also gives enough space for all the different types of horror that they want to have. There's the body horror with what was described in the synopsis of like the mom, the grandmother kind of like ripping away at her own flesh. We have so much despair and dread in there. We have creepy figures in the corner of shots that just sort of like fade into the background. And for me, you know, I'm very scared of real people. <laughs> it's terrifying to me. So having Edna chase the, her uh, daughter and granddaughter around the twisted hallways of the non-Euclidean home was very scary for me. Yeah. But I also want to talk more about the trope of these like lingering figures and shadows because these always get me. <laughs> I ugh, I feel like the first film that I feel remembering like this effect on me was paranormal activity. There's a lot of like what what's in the corner that you have to look for. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, the strangers does that too. Um, and ever since those sorts of films, I'm always on edge for those kinds of things. And this movie does them very well. There's not a lot of jump scares in this movie, but there are a lot of like, like no loud stingers to get you to be afraid. But there are a lot of like, oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. They're like, please stop. Stop making me look at this. <laughs> yeah. And the idea of having these like shadows or figures that are in the background that are just dark and ominous it just plays off of my own fear of the dark, literally, and like what can be held in the dark, which sort of goes parallel with like what can be held in the darkness of our own mind mm. that's betraying us due to illness. So I just thought that was really good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about it because I don't fully I wasn't too scared of this movie, mm -hmm. even like the first time I watched it. So I, I definitely respect like the symbolism and stuff that you're pointing out, but. To me, it just wasn't like and, you know, I love please stop making me look at this thing movies rather oh, yeah. than like jump scares. And I don't know, I I guess in my points, I have some sort of breakdown of what I think about it, but it just wasn't scary to me. Except for that one scene that you just pointed out in the trailer where you're yes. like, the scum is so bad. Yeah, but that was more relying on that sort of like slow, like the pan. Yeah, the preamble before Ugh. a jump scare in most movies was that scene. But every yeah. other scene tried to do sort of the lingering horror. And it was, I don't know, it was kind of a miss for me, I think. Wow. OK, yeah. I definitely wouldn't say this movie's like the scariest movie I've ever seen. But I would definitely say that they did a lot of different types of horror. And I thought that they didn't fail at executing them. I thought they executed them very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. It, it is tough for me to explain what I mean, because it wasn't technically a bad movie and it was like a very like metaphorically cool <laughs> it, yeah it was a cool movie i think even though it was supposed to be like a very cerebral look at um 
like dementia and stuff. And it was very metaphorical about that. I think it was cool. (laughs) It's a cool movie. (laughs) You know, another reason why this movie was so damn cool. It's all ladies. Yeah. So many ladies. So many ladies. So (laughs) that's obviously going to be my next point, which is that I thought it was fantastic to have the three leads be like this whole matriarchal family. They there are a few other characters that I actually cut from the synopsis, but there's like a kind of side plot with a a neighbor and his son. um, And it's like a dad and a son. And I thought that even it would be even cooler if those characters were people of marginalized gender, too, even if they were like non-binary. But they did have some disability representation, which was nice. Mm. Um, and this film for sure passes the Bechdel test. I mean, almost <laughs> all of the scenes are just the ladies discussing Edna's fate, you know, how they could take care of her, the house. There were so many different situations and worries that they were talking about and like the history of the family, even. Even the care home worker was a uh, female. Yeah. But also I found and this is kind of like a double edged sword of that. They were all ladies in this film and that's great. But they, I still found that there wasn't that much characterization for mm. the three leads. We don't really learn anything about them except that Edna is has dementia, that she makes homemade candles. That's like her one fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay, she's the mom, uh, and she's like got work stress outside of what's going on with her own mom. And then Sam, who was fired from her job and now is working at a bar. And that's like the only kind of things that I can say about these women, other than that they're all working together. We learn literally only people's work. (laughs) Only what people do as a job. Yeah. Because even when they talk about Edna's husband, he's like a carpenter. Like he built the house that they're in uh, and the care home worker. We know that she's a care home worker. So yeah, which is my pet peeve normally. And this is why I'm like, is this kind of bad or not? Because we don't get that much details about them, which does kind of make me upset. But then in this case, with this film, at least it feels like it's because they're so focused on the scenario that they're in, mm-hmm. which is still about themselves and each other. Whereas in other horror movies, if this happens and it's about the scenario, it's always, oh, they're the plot device for the men in the story. Yeah. So in this way, at least they weren't doing that. But I felt like it wasn't it was a slow burn and they could have probably had a bit more meat about these women something to draw me in more than just you know sam was willing to move here to be with her gran uh despite everything and the mom was like totally over it and having so much stress and ready to let go of her grandmother and yeah i don't know i i wanted more but i'm also like giving them a pass because maybe they wanted to just focus on the issue at hand Mm-hmm. They focused a lot on their relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it was so, sort of that thing where it like jumped generations where like Kay didn't like Edna because ambiguously was mistreated, I guess. It didn't really cover too much on that. And then Sam had a good relationship with Edna because it, that's usually how it goes that the like, it sort of skips generations of like doting grandparent mm. on the granddaughter. And they apparently like lived together at some point. But um, yeah, like it, it I guess it did try to focus more on just like how they interacted with each other more than who they were. We don't even know their last names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very strange. I'm sure there was a point behind that. 
it's very claustrophobic because they're all trapped in the house. Isolating. Yeah. We don't learn much about their outside lives, just what goes on in the house. And I guess it's also sort of like all in consuming this issue and this mental illness and this dementia that's just affecting them all so much. Yeah kind of the only focus going on in their lives so i mean edna doesn't even know who she is at all at certain points because of this illness too so yeah. how can we know but i feel like that would have like made it i don't know i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> you get it we don't know, know. anymore we, we lost the thread <laughs> We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. Can you believe it's been six seasons and they've been with us every step of the way? Support the show and this fantastic distillery by trying some of their products. You can get their awesome stuff at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. As I mentioned, I use their creme de violette. And I'm going to read the uh, script that has been written on the, the back of the bottle. Yes! <laughs> Delicate and beautiful floral liqueur handcrafted in small batches. Uh, perfect for your next cocktail, sipped neat or over ice. <gasps> Mad Laboratory Creme de Violette is sure to be a hit. Why did I read that British? It's French. <laughs> it's too, too late. I don't know how to do a French accent good. <laughs> Evil Amy is once again sponsoring our show. She sent us a pop figure from Beetlejuice. Yes, Beetlejuice himself, when he is a guide for the dead, looking very dashing in his dirty suit. He has joined the shelf of villains because let's not forget he is a misogynistic piece of crap with great costume design. You can get yours. They ship globally at evilamysterrorshop.com and use code EVIL10, all caps, for 10% off your purchase. Say it one more time, I dare you. <gasps> no. <laughs> you can follow us at Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. It is time to go back to the non-Euclidean episode. It's just going to keep going. And going. <laughs> what about your thoughts? So for me, um, again, I have like sort of a weird relationship with this movie because I do remember enjoying it the first time we watched it, but I had sort of a lingering, not like this is boring, but it feels fat. The movie is a little the movie needs some trimming a little bit, I think. Especially since there was no characterization. <laughs> yes. Um, and there's a lot of scenes at night, people hearing something, wandering around, looking, either nothing being there or the, a figure is behind them or Edna's doing something weird. Which for me is creepy. Yeah. The first Curry. time. Or if that's <laughs> what the movie is. But I feel like it spent so much time sort of using those as time fillers for m moments that could actually be progressing the plot um, mm -hmm. that I it just kind of like, I don't know, the movie just kind of feels slow and not in a like kind of cathartic slow way or whatever. And I think it could use some trimming. I don't think it's so bad that it would have to be like a short film or anything like that, but it's just mm -hmm. 
it could be shorter or make it like more hard to watch, make it more oppressive and make it more, make the mold and the house get bigger and shrink and make everything like scarier to be around. It's just like the, the three of them are just kind of vibing in the house for a good long time before shit hits the fan really quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain because it's like, I did, I did enjoy the movie, but it's just, Maybe it's my ADHD. Maybe just halfway through the movie, I'm like, oh my God, too much night. Just do something already. <laughs> we get it. There's something in the house or there isn't. Who knows? Yeah. So take that with a grain of salt. My other thought uh, is that I really like the visual representation used for dementia. Um, the mold uh, sort of representing the like growing problem that at a certain point, it's like if you I don't I honestly don't really know how dementia works. I don't know if it is something that you can like catch early and sort of prevent or if it is one of those like horrible, terrible diseases. I feel like I'm not an expert either, but I feel like you can't really prevent dementia once it happens. And I also know it's like also a side effect of other diseases. It's not. Yeah doesn't always have to be on its own. So I think like the mold was a good representation of like it's too late. Like mold mm. kind of hits a, p- a point where you can't take care of it. Um, Unless you just gut it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's if it's a person, they're just dead. Or in the way that this movie represents it, where like that, I feel like that back room was kind of like that moment where you've ripped open the walls and there's just a shit ton of mold. And the problem is a lot worse than you had thought it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like even Sam is sort of in denial where it's like, no, she's fine, mom. And I can stay with her. No, oh, I'm going to take care of her and stuff. And then she like opens that door and sees like how bad the problem is and realizes yeah. that it's like un. there's no fixing it at this point. Um, and that's, I mean, where we see the, the, the inspiration for this cocktail name of the post-it note that says, my name is Edna. Yeah. It's just like heartbreaking. And I tried to kind of make it look like the color of the mold, but this creme de violette is not dark enough. <laughs> but let me tell you, I'm almost done my drink. I'm about three quarters of the way. So good. So refreshing. Good thing Still we enjoying have more shampoo. Um, have it again later. But yeah, like the mold just there's something uncomfortable about mold. And I think that's, that was a good visual choice because there's also something uncomfortable about dementia. Like I'm terrible in social situations. And anytime that I've had to interact with somebody with dementia or Alzheimer's, I personally don't really know what to do. I'm, I'm so bad at like communicating with somebody who has struggles with communication. Um, and it's like a personal fault of mine. So, it's just like this this movie just becomes uncomfortable socially and visually as the mold grows and the problem grows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, fin- finally, like culminating in that non-Euclidean back room. And it is cool, too, because like there is Sam finally understands her grandmother when she gets into that back room. And as bad it is as it is, you can t- kind of tell at the beginning of experiencing it that like Sam is looking at the post-it notes and and like sees how messy it is back there and and how much her grandmother has gone through that for a moment, it's almost like, OK, I finally get it situation. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. she gets lost. And it hits the fan and, and she realizes how bad it how actually bad it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really I like the visuals of this movie. I think all of the all of the metaphors in this movie are very expertly handled. 
Uh, it's just too dang slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a final thought that's more Ooh. of a question. An early final thought. An early... Wait, no, sorry. A In this <laughs> list of thoughts, I have a final <laughs> one of this list. All right. Uh-huh. Um, and it's more of a question. And through the movie, we see sort of that like shadowy de- dark figure that's sort of looming over the house and like wandering the halls and, and scaring Edna and stuff. Do you think that that is a actual relative of Edna's? I thought maybe like a husband or like a parent, because it seems that the act of like peeling away the skin is something that's like passed through the family. We saw it in the flashbacks that um, we were seeing, like in the cabin of like an elderly man over top of one of those black corpses and then falling to the ground. And then later Edna sitting on the bed over top of like a stain of where a corpse was and then falling over the bed. It's sort of this like Mm -hmm. cycle. So do you think that that, dark figure was actually there that's really interesting i didn't think that it would be her husband even though it totally that through line that you just said makes sense or like a relative i think for me it seemed more like it was the dement the disease itself Mm. and how everyone sort of at the end of this stage and progression just becomes that shell becomes that disease and they lose themselves as it gets peeled off of them to just leave this shell behind or this core yeah but that's what i was thinking Uh, like was had she had done that to somebody and that was the person sort of wandering around but that's like i think it's meta i think it's like it wasn't really there i mean it was obviously there because Kay sees it too But in this case, for me, it's more like it is the thing that's haunting her that's in the back of her mind Mm -hmm. that because she says, like, don't follow it. It's it's something that's inhibiting her life. So for me, it was more it was shaped like a person. And I know that she becomes it at the end of the film. But for some reason, for me, it was more like just the the fear, the disease itself manifested in a different way other than the mold around the house. Yeah. But I do I do like what you were suggesting about how it could be her husband, especially with those flashbacks of the small cabin Mm -hmm. and what happened to them and how it sort of like affected the whole family. And like she could actually like she could be forgetting what it is as well. Mm -hmm. Like it could have Mm -hmm. been her mom or her husband or something. And now she's just genuinely forgetting what it is and it's scaring her. Yeah. Um, Which, again, going with the metaphor, it's like if you're I, I. I really should have looked up what this disease is like because I don't know if it is hereditary. This movie heavily implies that it is hereditary, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but it also has more of a like supernatural element to it. So yeah, I'm curious if it is if it was meant to be an actual physical person in the house or if it was sort of that like what is to come kind of visions. Hmm. Hmm. I can tell you. I just googled. Many people affected by dementia are concerned that they may inherit or pass on dementia. The majority of dementia is not inherited by children and grandchildren. In rarer types of dementia, there may be a strong genetic link, but these are only a tiny proportion of overall cases of dementia. Hmm. Familiar Alzheimer's disease, FAD, is apparent. If a parent has a mutated gene that causes FAD, each child has a 50% chance of inheriting it, but it's very rare. I don't know why, but that made me think, is ADHD inherit, uh, hereditary? <laughs> and it apparently is. So well, there you go. Hey, family members, get that checked out. <laughs> um, 
Good thing we're not having babies. Yeah. Just a real hereditary nightmare. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of nightmares, I know that I wasn't supposed to, but I did go into the non-Euclidean space in our closet. No, Kelly. That's what the big hole in the drywall is. Uh, I had to kick my way out. Okay. Um, We're not getting our damage deposit back. I've done worse. So... Anyways, what did you get back? I got uh, I got the book that I put a little sticky note on uh, that says when I bring this book to the podcast, I have to dramatically shout, "It's time to open the What the hell is that? I don't know what mold sounds like, (laughs) so I made a snake sound instead. Gotta do like ASMR, like slow uh, fungal growth. I guess I could have been Edna at the end. That was pretty creepy and sound effecty. I was too late. I committed to the snake bit. Just gotta sound Australian. That's horrifying enough. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I write that. What's your recommendation there, eh? My recommendation is I am the pretty thing that lives in the house from 2016. Uh, It's another kind of slow burn mystery that takes place primarily in one house. Um, I remember liking it, uh, though nothing specific about it. Um, it's it. We watched it a while ago. I remember Mm -hmm. her talking on a corded phone and the cord wiggling. Uh, So that is I am the pretty (laughs) I am the pretty thing that lives in the house from 2016. Which is interesting because that's a slow burn that you really enjoyed and I didn't like. Whereas the Relic was a slow burn that I really liked and you didn't love. We're so different. So much so that I have a super special double recommendation. Ooh! Because I couldn't make my mind up. So uh, my super special second recommendation is (gasps) The Dark and the Wicked from 2020. Um, This was a huge surprise for both of us because we did not know what it was going in. It was on our recommendations from either Shudder or Netflix. I can't remember. Uh, It is very spooky and has sort of a similar idea of a parent possibly having dementia um, and kids having to take care of their parents post uh, whatever's happening to them. So uh, that is the Dark and the Wicked from 2020. Highly recommend. Nice. My recommendation I feel bad because I can't remember if we've done it on the podcast or not, but it's the taking of Deborah Logan. We have not. Okay. We have to do it on the show. (laughs) We haven't done it because holy cow. It's from 2014, which, but we only watched it recently when we went on a huge found footage bender because yeah, it is found footage or like mockumentary of a woman dealing with Alzheimer's and what happens to her and the crew when it actually becomes something far more sinister. And I really enjoyed it. So that's The Taking of Deborah Logan from 2014. We also watched like a bunch of found footage exorcism movies at the time. We kind of went on a a binge. Um, There's some good ones. The Last Exorcism. Yeah. Our our pool of found footage is uh, running shallow so we need some more recommendations please email us give us recommendations Reconoma us yes. is our new segment <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea for people that do email us with recommendations we get some dms with them but i usually just put them on the list of the show <laughs> another segment of our lovely show is scaredy facts 
this is the part of the show <laughs> where we do trivia. Um, it allows us to remind ourselves that this was just a movie and that we are safe and sound under the covers, either in our bed or on the couch. And we're enjoy- enjoying, we're inviting you to enjoy this with us as we dive into the trivia of Relic. Which I'm very sad to say I have an unknown budget because <gasps> this is blocked behind the IMDb paywall. I mean, it's Australia, so it's like $20,000 redos. I mean, maybe the worldwide gross I do know, which is $2.9 million. Ooh, spicy. So I hope that they made money off this movie. It was pretty, it was good. I think it deserves to make money. I do also want to note, I... Don't hate Australia. It's just so easy to make fun of them. (laughs) (laughs) I am sad to say that I don't have very many scaredy facts for you, but I did try to keep the good ones juicy. So I just had a little burp because this was a drink with champagne. So I'm like, woo. Uh, But the movie uses sound effects to mimic sensorial and memory loss described by dementia patients. So they designed the sound of the film to sort of mimic that, which I thought was very cool. It's creepy. I don't know why that reminds me. Did you ever see that um, experiment, I guess, where the artist did a self-portrait and then did a bunch of drugs and did a self-portrait for each drug that they did? No. Um, And it's like what it kind of it, it like loosely shows what is going on in his mind when he's on each of the drugs. And it's hmm. wild. It's stuff cool. like like cocaine is still a pretty good one. And then like heroin is just like scratches on a paper, basically. Wow. Yeah. As someone who is afraid of drugs. So I mean, looking scary. at those pictures helps still <laughs> yeah. being afraid of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Although they portray mother and daughter, Emily Mortimer is only 16 years older than Bella Heathcote. Got some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> Still could be mother and daughter. Yeah. <laughs> but I did think it was interesting that that is a pretty quick age difference. Yeah. This was filmed, as you said, you love to shit on Australia. <laughs> filmed in Melbourne, Australia. The forest was Creswick, Victoria in Australia. And they did some additional photography in studios in LA. Cool. But mainly it was on site, on location. Nice. On location uh, in a continent. <laughs> in Melbourne, I said. <laughs> and uh, Crestwick. <laughs> yeah. Last but not least, I did save the best for last for this. They created an actual animatronic in the movie, which I had no idea watching it. Edna's final form is this advanced animatronic complete with facial controls and breathing mechanics. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Kind of looked like your favorite. Little animatronic. No! No, E.T. No. It did, though. No! <laughs> Give me your final thought. Uh, my final thought, um, I feel like this is kind of obvious. I am glad that I watched it, but I have no real urge to watch it again. Uh, this premise is cool, and I like getting um, I get, I like getting movies about it, and I do want more in the future. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know. Something doesn't draw me back to this movie. Hmm. Fair enough. Maybe it's because you're forgetting it. Forgetting what? (gasps) My final thought is actually in a similar vein as yours in that I do want to get more films like this, less about the subject matter. Not that the subject matter was bad. I do think that would be great, but more for myself, focusing on the all female casts in horror that aren't sort of slasher based. We get a lot of all women casts in terms of 
or like being murdered by a man. And I'm over that. I want to <laughs> see some cool, in-depth story horror like Hereditary, but with all women. It's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Or all marginalized genders. I would love to explore that more. Yeah. And that's it. It's only me. really been like one non-binary person in a movie that we've watched recently. And that was there's someone in the house or something. Was it? Yeah, called? that was good. We didn't do that in the show, but that's there's someone inside your house on Netflix. Yeah. Which came out like this last year, I think. Yeah. Pretty good. And there was a non-binary folk that did not get buried. And was not played by a non-binary person. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, it's okay. We'll what, take whatever representation we can get. Listen, what actors do I have to look up to? Fucking Ezra Miller. <laughs> Ooh, ah. Erica Ishii. That's true. Well, that's been Relic, a movie about landlords that don't remove the mold from your apartment. They just paint over it with that tacky white paint and it gets all sticky and they hope you don't notice. And then they rent it to new people and they keep painting over it until it gets worse and worse and worse. But they charge you more and rent goes up and you can't live in the city that you love because you can't afford it anymore. So you have to move out to the sticks and you, but rent gets bad there, too, guys. Don't worry about it. And well, don't you worry about something getting worse and worse and worse, because next week we'll be watching The Fly from 1986, a highly recommended film that I have never seen and I'm very excited about. I haven't either. Oh boy, yeah. we're in for it. And remember, always scream responsibly. Bye! Bye! Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll, voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 